Her husband died by suicide. She's here to tell the story. And then her long road of recovery, her journey to find joy in her life and how that provides a passion for her mission today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. Contact us from Colorado. We have Alexandra Wyman on the phone. Alexandra's husband died by suicide. We're going to talk about that. And that provides her passion for what she does today. Her website is forwardtojoy.com, and she also wrote the book, The Suicide Club. You can find it on her website, forwardtojoy.com. Alexandra, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to speak with you today. This is a difficult, tough subject to talk about. So there's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to make it sound pretty, make it sound nice. So it's really your story. That's what we're talking about. Yes, it is. And it's one that you didn't uh, you didn't sign up for, you didn't volunteer for, and I'm sure you didn't see coming. Uh, your husband's name, what was his name? Sean. And he died by suicide. How long ago was that? Two and a half years. Just about exactly two and a half years. Are you able to talk about the incident and how you found out? Yeah, um, I don't mind sharing about that at all. Um, He actually went missing for about six hours, and uh, we had had an argument the morning of. He had been with some friends the night before. Uh, We had our child was just over a year old, and um, we were trying to figure out life, and COVID was going on, lots of stressors at that point in time. And he uh, went into the mountains of Colorado, and very quickly I knew what was happening. I, I can't even explain how or why. There were there were no signs prior, I will say that. There wasn't anything to indicate that he was contemplating harming himself or taking his own life. And the morning I received a text message from him, and I said, I think this was a goodbye text, and that just started the ball rolling with trying to find him. So it took about six hours. Um, I had deputies in two different counties trying to help me, family, friends trying to reach out to him. And ultimately it did end up uh, while he was in the mountains of Colorado that he did take his life. Um, So I had a sense that something had happened, but I wasn't informed officially by local deputies until about four hours after he actually passed. And I'm sure the argument, a lot of people would love to pass judgment. (laughs) Look, I've been married a long time. My wife, I call her the boss, and I 
argue from time to time. What I do is I just get quiet because I don't want to argue with her. But disputes come with the territory. It's part of uh, being in an intimate relationship. It's unavoidable. Absolutely. And I was. I was judged and criticized for um, our marriage. There were quite a few people who did come out the gate with some blame, anger, and judgment towards me that I must have done something to push him over the edge. And it took a long time for me to work on that healing process to say that, yes, there were stressors in our marriage, but I alone was not the reason that he ended up dying that day. I'd love... I love people. I really do. But I also find them very annoying. And the ones I tell people, Alexandra, be careful you don't break your neck jumping to conclusions. And people love to jump to conclusions, especially when it comes to death by suicide. And really, there's, there's no polite way to talk about this topic because it's it's one that none of us knows how to handle, and self, myself included. Absolutely. And I love that you, I love actually that you say the breaking your neck, jumping to conclusions, because that that was a lot of what I had to work through um, in about six to eight months after he died and having to start the healing process of peeling apart layers. You're right. With suicide, we don't, we don't get the answers to the questions we have. It's, it's almost, it's stifling. We don't have the opportunity to say what we want to at the end. We don't get to hear from that person really. I mean, he did leave a note. He did um, leave a note publicly, but it, it definitely leaves you jarred going, wait a second, not only how did this happen? What am I engaging in now? I'm a single mom. How am I going to do this? This wasn't part of the deal. And then on the other side, it's going, and I, I, you get no answers to any of those questions you have. It, it can be very jarring and, and very hard to go through. I'm sure you still have some of the questions that people want answers. I, I, I want answers for you as well, but they're not <laughs> answers. And the person who can tell you can't because they're not here anymore. And I've interviewed many, many survivors of suicide. Uh, most of them were, were spouses of law enforcement officers. And th- that is something I understand a little bit about. However... Every time I have a conversation with them, I, I tell them, look, years of police work and all the training in the world trained me for how to investigate homicides, suicides, all these other things. So we always treated suicides as a homicide till proven otherwise uh, because you can't, you can't go back and replicate the process uh, and, and the so-called crime scene. But what no one ever trained me for, or if they did, it, it's always inadequate, is how to talk about it with the, the survivors. And there's really... No rule book that I know of. I love that you are able to acknowledge that because that's a big, big thing that's come out uh, with a suicide specific support group that I'm in where all of us have lost a loved one to suicide and the inconsistency of how we have all been treated or the resources that were available. It's, it's shocking. And I feel like it is an area of growth that we can do better in, but you're right. How do you handle that? Especially if the training is, we need to investigate this to see if there was some foul play in there. Was there something else going on? And and in my situation, I feel fortunate that my husband did not die at home. So there weren't those types of questions. The deputies already knew that we were looking for someone who was, was thinking of harming himself. Um, but it, but it is, it's, it's really hard to figure out how do you talk about it when it is so different? There's no, there's no rubric. There's no algorithm for how you can approach it. It's, it's so different that it's how can you, how can you train people to be able to talk about it other than to say, this is a really awful thing that you went through. And I feel blessed that 
one of the deputies who had to inform me, I say they got the short straw on having to inform That's the, the widow worst that day. job in police work after directing traffic. Death notifications is, is horrible. Horrible. And they, you know, I wasn't even at home. So they went to my home and I had a family member there. So they had to form the family member first. Like he already knew what was happening. And then they were redirected to where I was. Uh, But one of the deputies, her husband had died by suicide just eight months prior. And she just looked at me straight face and said, you're not going to believe me this day, but I just want you to know that you can get through this. And that has stuck with me ever since. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But you're right. It's the worst thing to do to have to tell someone, hey, by the way, your husband just, just died. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to be totally honest with you, I, I remember being a 22-year-old policeman and, you know, getting a call to call a dispatcher. And they say, you need to go to this address. Find uh, the parents of Mr. Brown. We'll use that name as an example. And then tell them that he died in a car accident in another state. And it's like oh three God. o'clock in the morning and you're like knocking on a door. And Alexandra, I thought I knew what was going on, but at 22, I had no idea. And to this day, I still don't know how to say that. So we were taught, listen, you just had to be as matter of fact as possible and just let them know. There's the things we see on TV, the sugarcoating it, all those sorts of things uh, don't apply. We're talking with Alexandra Wyman, whose husband died by suicide, which provides much of the motivation for what she does today. We'll talk more about that when we return to the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Law Enforcement Show, return to conversation with Alexandra Wyman, contacted from Colorado. Her husband died by suicide. She is the author of the book, The Suicide Club. You can find it at her website, forwardtojoy.com, which we will talk about more in the future. Alexandra, I, I said earlier, part of me, I like to think that I'm a pretty brave guy, a pretty brave person. But when it comes to talking about death and talking about people who have lost loved ones due to their own hand or someone else's, the coward me comes out because I'm, I'm always afraid of saying the wrong thing. And here's what someone said to me that really helped. And, and she's someone I've known for a long time. Her husband used to work for me in the police department. Then I transferred to another district. He was killed in line of duty a couple months later. And she said, listen, if I don't feel like talking about it, I'll tell you. Uh, but the worst thing you can do is is not is not talk to me because the worst has already happened. You can't make it worse. Oh, a hundred percent. And I used to tell people just keep. 
keep reaching out to me. I will get back to you at some point. And it's okay not to know what to say, but just knowing that people are there and thinking about you, at least in my situation, was crucial. And there, and I'll say, the people that I thought that were going to have my back and be there ended up not. And the people the people I least expected to be a support were. And, and again, there's just really no predictability to any of this. Um, but it, it, but it's absolutely true to just, you have to start to surround yourself with a village and with people who are going to help you through it. Cause you, you certainly can't get through something like this on your own. No. And, and I, I gotta say this, I don't offer my opinion very often because you don't say about opinions, but everybody's journey is different and everybody is not the same on every day. Uh, for example, my father died of cancer. I, I think it was 29 years ago. I tell friends it doesn't get easier. You just get more used to it. Uh, I just had a brother-in-law pass away from cancer. And I went to talk to my sister, one of my sisters about it. And I didn't know what to say. I still don't know what to say other than say, I'm here. If you want to talk, I'm here. If you want to talk about fishing, we'll talk about fishing. If you want to talk about your husband, we'll talk about your husband. But I don't think there's, I, I'm kind of heading towards your book, which we'll talk about later on. I don't think there's any kind of <laughs> guideline in a book saying, okay, here's how you handle these conversations. Oh, no. And, and in fact, I actually had people who avoided me for a while because they didn't, they didn't want to share anything going on in their life because they wanted, they were getting to comparison and saying, well, nothing I'm going through is like what you're going through. And I said, well, sometimes it's nice to hear that other people are going things to take my mind off of what's in front of me. And I love that you just had that openness to say, you, you get to guide it. You tell me. And those are the people in my situation as well that I, I tended to reach out to and talk to because they, they were that open to say, what do you want to talk about? What, I'm here. Do you want me to bring food? That was a big one for me. I said, I just need help, you know, continuing to have meals because evenings were so difficult. Um, but having that openness and being able to separate yourself from the situation, I think so often we like to create space between us and something so tragic and to say, oh, that'll never happen to me, or, oh, I'm in a different situation, or my mental health is okay, or I don't have those signs, or I'd see them, you know, any way to try and try and make that separation. And in, in, in my opinion, and in my experience, there are no signs. It's, life is going to hand you some stuff. It's about how you approach it that I think is going to be the most predictable part of it. Well, when you said life's going to hand you some stuff, you obviously got handed something you never signed up for. Uh, you sound like a very young person. You don't sound old. Uh, how old were you when this happened? I was 38. That's very young. And 38, yes. we're not supposed to have to deal with this. Yes, I agree. I mean, it was one of those things. I had bought into this idea of what that perfect life is supposed to look like. You go to college, you meet someone, you get your house, you get your picket fence, your dog, your children. Um, obviously, I started a little bit later. I met Sean when I was 35. But we had that. We had that great, great looking life. And, and it, that doesn't mean that on the inside, it wasn't great. Obviously, he had some trauma that was um, impacting him and his ability to really engage in healthy coping skills. But when life handed me this, that was a big part of it going, well, wait a second. What, what did I do wrong that this is what happened? And the truth is nothing. It was just that I was buying into this idea of life being linear and structured and it's not it's it's completely messy and tumultuous but um our reactions and how we heal ourselves is again what's going to be predictable and how we handle when we get 
you know, I like to say it was a squall or tsunami that hit me in the face that day. Yeah. Well, we've had many people on the show that have lost spouses or loved ones due to homicide, acts of violence, car accidents, fires, unexpected deaths due to health situations, and a few from suicide. The big difference, and I'm asking this question, the big difference is no one seems to ask those that their their spouses died by act of violence or car accident, did you have a part to play in this? It is interesting to see, and that that difference, because I do I do say, for whatever reason, suicide is one of those types of deaths where it's almost open season on anybody close to the individual. So for for in my situation, it was me. It was open season on me, my character, my parenting, my marriage, my like everything about me was was open season. And we don't. That's part of the reason why I wanted to write a book. That's part of the reason why I wanted to start speaking out a little bit more to say, this is no different than any other type of death. It's just that the grief is awful because no one sees it coming. And there are other types of death where you don't see it coming. But you're right. It's something about someone getting to a point that they're we can't we can't go back to them and blame them as you said earlier we can't go and ask them or be upset at them because they're not here anymore so we tend to try and focus our anger or frustration on the people who are here and it's it's very interesting to see that it it is it's a it, i don't know if it's an anomaly with this type of death but definitely a lot of anger and blame that comes specifically with this you sound like you handle it, at least now, relatively calmly. I'd be a raging bull and lashing out at people. Uh, did you find yourself doing that? I I would say that I tried to handle it as well as I could, but there were definite moments, and in, in my situation was a little complicated because there were threats of legal action against me. There were... Um, I call them whispers about custody of our son. And that just sent me into even an increase in higher survival mode. So I did have to take some action on my own and set some really big boundaries. Um, but I did have some tough conversations with people and it, it, it did get ugly there for a while. Uh, but through that process, I had already initially had tools and people to help support me and guide me, whether it was lawyers, therapists, family members, other individuals who'd been through something like this, I was immediately put in touch with some other survivors to all help guide me through this because it, it, it is awful. I, and I don't like how I get and how I feel and how I'm negatively affected for a long period of time when I get really, really angry. Uh, I do recall going through, and it's a different scenario, uh, what I thought was the end of my world going through divorce. And I thought to myself, God, you got it. I'm going to hand this over to attorneys and judges because I can't deal with this. I'm going to lose my mind. We're talking with Alexandra Wyman. Her husband died by suicide. Her website is forwardtojoy.com. She's author of the book, The Suicide Club. We return. We're going to talk about her journey, her long journey of recovery and grief process after the suicide. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to harmonywithfood.com and click on the testing tab. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return to conversation with Alexandra Wyman on the Law Enforcement Today show. Alexandra's husband, Sean, died by suicide when she was in her late 30s, 38, which is very, very young. And she's author of the book, The Suicide Club, and her website is forwardtojoy.com. What she's learned in the process motivates to do what she does today. And that's what we're going to talk about now. I can't even begin to imagine the process of recovery and grief. I still am angry about certain things in my life that, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if I'll ever get over. I think you just learn to live with. Um, And that includes, to some degree, the death of loved ones. Um, and some other personal things as well. How would you describe, before we get into your journey, how would you describe where you're at today, your life today, compared to when your husband died? Oh, that is such a good question. Uh, completely different. I'm I'm actually surprised sometimes at how well I'm doing, given what I went through. But I have definitely gotten the grief process, as you mentioned earlier, it never ends. Right. It just kind of morphs and changes where there are going to be times where I'm going to remember my husband and go, "Ooh," and it could it could be 20 years. It could be in another two years. It just happens. Um, But I'll say I definitely have way more good days than the bad days, which it's flopped after in the initial trauma. Um, And I definitely am at a point where I feel like I can make plans and find more joy in my life. I get excited about the milestones my son is having rather than get bogged down in the depression of his dad missing out on it. So it's, it's been a journey, but I've had to work really, really hard to get here and keep moving forward. I think the key word you said there is work. I don't know if anything comes magically by happenstance. And I, I, again, I've never gone through this. I don't have a point of reference. What I have is reference of, of homicide victims. So, uh, it's taken a tremendous amount of work and a lot of help from a lot of people. How would you describe your journey to get from there to here? Yeah, I am a big fan of having tools in a toolbox and those tools are going to change daily. You're not going to know what is going to work one day versus another day. And I also think a big part of it is pacing yourself. I, I tend to like to take a project and get through it. And this was a project I thought, all right, I got this. I'm going to get through this grief process. I'm going to get to the other side. I've got a kid I have to raise. And I found very quickly that that is not how this works and decided that you just have to ride the waves. It's a very big emotional journey. 
it can be, again, there's no predictability. I had moments where I thought I'd be laughing and all of a sudden I'm sobbing, having to take a break and, and go take a breather from whatever conversation I was having. So I immediately just tapped into whatever tools I could. So I've mentioned therapy, a support group. I started reading books. Um, I was challenged in my spirituality. So I started reading books about spirituality. I started listening to more podcasts and shows to see what is happening to get a better idea for myself of what I felt aligned with too, with what I think happens after death. And um, also then I just had to really I found that my grief process was complicated also by any unhealed grief from my childhood or other instances in my adulthood. So I had to also simultaneously look back to say, what limiting beliefs did I have that were continuing to perpetuate my responses um, as an adult in, in the, in the immediacy after uh, Sean's death. One of the analogies I love that someone taught me a long time ago, I'd love to take credit for it, but I can't, is that life and issues are like a box of tissues. So when you have one issue that pops up, you you pull it out, you deal with it, there's another one right behind it magically. And I can't think of a bigger tissue than the death uh, of a loved one, especially by suicide, to bring out all the bad stuff. Oh, completely. And there's no, there's no real sense of space or rest, I would say, because, you know, the way our system is set up, you have business you have to take care of. So you're looking at an estate, you have to make funeral arrangements, you can't even wrap your head around the fact that someone just died in a very traumatic way before you're having to make decisions. And I know people say, don't make a decision until a year is over. And I'm going, you have to make decisions day zero. And, and to be able to try and balance all of that, Uh, You're right. I mean, I love that analogy because it is one thing after another. And that's where I, that's where I found that when I was getting overwhelmed going, I don't know if I can handle this today, really having to get over myself essentially and get over my pride and reach out to people and say, I need your help today. One of the things you said earlier that kind of resonated with me is you would get emotional and this may seem like a long rambling question. I, I get emotional watching like, these romantic comedy movies. Uh, there's certain things I'm like, my wife laughs at me because we're watching commercials. She goes, are you crying? No. Yes, I am. And here's my biggest objection. And, and, and I want to know if you can relate to this. I hate, I hate that Hollywood portrays that there's a happy ending all the time. Because in real life, there isn't many times. No, I, I completely agree. And I think sometimes what happens in these movies is it creates that sense of what that successful or perfect life is supposed to look like. And so we internalize that. And then if it's not going that way, we say something must be wrong with us, not with this ideal of a life. And and I agree with you with the commercials sometimes with, with the emotions, but it, it's really, it's such a journey and to have to embrace it and allow some of those, what we call negative. I don't like calling them negative right. emotions, but you, you have to embrace them and we tend to try and put them aside, but they're always going to stay there until we actually move through them. 
And a big part of the, the challenge has got to be for you. And I don't want to go into a lot of details about your son, but as a parent, you know, it can really tweak on your emotions when everything's going great in your life. Uh, as a parent to a child, do you ever find yourself just like exploding or going beyond what you think is reasonable? And then you're like, okay, how do I, how do I not react that way? Oh, a hundred percent. I, yes, I have engaged in screen therapy. I, I would say like, I've definitely had mom fails where I go, Oh, I could have done that differently. Especially when I see him mimic back to me, the same behavior. And I go, well, if I'm trying to teach you how to have healthy coping skills, I need to have healthy coping skills. It can be very, very overwhelming because an element that I think isn't always understood as a single parenthood. And I know people of a variety of situations, whether they're co-parenting, where they are a single parent through divorce or even still in death is that, yes, you have to do everything with a schedule, but there is a major like financial component that's there. And to have everything be on my shoulders has been one of the hardest things to wrap my head around. And also to say, I can do this rather than to get sucked into insecurity or imposter syndrome or comparison and and feel that I can't do this because it just wasn't part of what I thought my life was going to look like. It wasn't part of what I call the deal. We had a deal between us and he broke it. And now I'm trying to pick up the pieces of that. But absolutely, it's um, I say my son and I are a team and not to say that I put my grief on him, but that we have to figure out how to uh, cope together, especially when I'm being triggered or feel that, that I'm having a harder day so that I'm not projecting all of that onto him. You said a really profound thing and I'm paraphrasing. If I'm going to teach my child healthy coping skills, I have to show them myself. And one of the things that, that I found is I'm much better today than I was years ago when I was younger. And the old saying is, you do the best you can with what you have. And as you learn better, you do better. As you acquire better equipment, you, 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 you bring that to play. Uh, so uh, the one thing I would caution people to do is that, the, and I, I felt that it's trapped hugely for a long time. The shoulda, coulda, wouldas. If I, sh- I coulda, shoulda, woulda done better. I'm not Superman. I'm not God. I'm just me. We are talking with Alexandra Wyman. Her husband's died by suicide. When we return, we're going to talk about how that drives, how her recovery drives her passion and motivates her to do what she does today. She's also booked the Suicide Club. You can get more details on our website, forwardtojoy.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com.
This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return to conversation with Alexandra Wyman. Contact us from Colorado. Her husband, Sean, died by suicide. Her website is forwardtojoy.com. Remember that, forwardtojoy.com. And her book is called The Suicide Club. You can find it. Get more details at her website, forwardtojoy.com. Alexandra, I'm, I'm so happy, and I, that's a bad word, for this conversation. I'm, I'm honored that you chose to spend your time telling your story on the Law Enforcement Today show. It's very much appreciated. I can't help but think of you being 38, going through the death of a spouse by suicide, uh, having the, the challenges of being a single parent, not having the deal, as you call it, that wasn't the deal, but this is where you have no choice but to, and I hate this phrase, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and keep on going. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and what I say is you have to find, for, for me it was my son, but I encourage people in this type of situation, you have to find that one small thing to hold on to so that on those days where you don't want to get out of bed, you don't even want to, you don't want to eat. There's nothing that's going to motivate you, but to have one thing that will help you continue on a, on a daily basis, because those who are impacted by suicide have a higher rate of dying that way. Right. Right. And I didn't want to say that because I'm a coward. Oh. Uh, uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. One of the things that, that reminds me of is my mother, who is still with us. She's in her 80s. And she tells stories about we, we had five kids. My dad was in the Navy. I was the oldest of five. Um, and, and she would say one of the stories is that I was about 10, about 11 months old, 12 months old, and uh, her back went out and she still had to care for my sister, Mary Helen, and she was crawling around because she couldn't walk, and my dad was out to sea, and she said, I didn't have any choice. I was a mother. If I didn't do this, who's going to do it? Oh, yes, exactly. There's, it's, it's amazing. I still, with one of my therapists, she still reminds me about self-care. And I, and I, sometimes I have to go self what? Like, yeah, no, I was getting ready to say that. What is that? And where do I buy it? Cause I don't know where that is. Yeah. Like I'm trying, but you're right. You know, when, when everything, because you end up being the sole person who has to provide and do all this. So I, I, it's still a journey for me to reach out to people and be able to ask for help. It's still a journey to go, Oh, okay. You know, I can, I can use other people to help with these things. So it's not all on me, but it is hard. It, it is. It, there are days where I just go, okay, wash, rinse, repeat. This is, this is how life is right now. Sister, you're singing my song and I didn't go through what you went through. <laughs> I, I, I would much rather help someone else than ask someone for help. And a lot of my life is like the, the, the shampoo instructions, rinse, lather, repeat until the answer becomes obvious. And to do what's put in front of me the best of my ability. Uh, and, and I can't see beyond that a lot of times. Have you gotten to the point where you see beyond that? Yes, I have days that are, like I said earlier, I have much better days now where I can actually have some of that forward thought and do some planning. Um, I used to be a very, very organized person. I, I could go hours and hours and hours in a day. I had such a good handle on everything. And that is not me now, which sometimes is really difficult because the loss isn't just mourning the person. You, you start, you, you're mourning who you were. You're mourning what your life was going to be like 
you even mourn what your life is like now. So having to accept who I am now. Um, but I do, you know, I get to plan trips with my son, which is really exciting. And then I get to think about, as I said, you know, milestones that are coming or even for myself, you know, getting to a point where I can go, okay, I can go take a trip for myself as part of that self-care and leave him behind and he will be okay. And I'm still a good mom. That mom guilt comes up a lot, (laughs) but being able to have that balance and really say it is okay for me to do this. um, is still part of the process, but one where I can get some of that forward thinking. So it sounds to me like you have more good days or more good moments than bad. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. And it took about, I want to say that I started to see a shift about a year and a half past where I went, I finally noticed, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting more momentum. I'm feeling better. I'm not, and I, I still have, absolutely, I still have grief bursts that come. I still have moments around the anniversary of his death. Um, I'm, I'm open that Mother's Day and Father's Day are really hard for me and, I know how now, because I've seen that, that those days are hard, I know how to prepare myself and start accessing my tools prior to that. I wouldn't even begin to know how to handle situations like Mother's Day and Father's Day and uh, Christmas. Uh, look, there was a long time where Sundays were my worst days because I didn't see my daughters and I had a tendency to not have anything to look forward to. And my mind would always go back to, unresolved issues or, or the things in my past that haunted me and then fast forward to things in my future which worried me. One of the obvious questions I got to ask you is you're still very young uh, and I would imagine this would create a huge obstacle to being able to have a relationship with someone else, an intimate relationship. Have you been able to cross that bridge yet or not yet? I have. I've, I have ventured out into the dating world and I will you say said the dating that, world. Are you kidding me? Who I talks did. like that anymore? <laughs> Makes it sound no, like we're 15. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I have had a few first dates. It, it does. I do think it takes someone who can handle and be in their own self-worth and work through their own issues, honestly, to work on their own health and their emotional intelligence to be able to really embrace the fact that being a widow, my husband's going to be part of my story forever. He's part of my son's story. And it takes someone who's pretty strong to not be intimidated or threatened by that. And so that's kind of what I'm navigating now is that I've been able um, to meet a few people and, and go out and try and, and I'll tell you, like I'm in my forties now and I don't know what it is, but I'm like 40 dating in your forties. It's just, it's not that easy. I was hoping that maybe people, you know, we have enough life experience that maybe it would be different, <laughs> but it's not. We it's could not. do a show about that. Totally. I, look, I, I was divorced <laughs> my first marriage. I never saw ending. I never wanted to. And when I met my wife, uh, it was a stage in my life where I didn't want to get serious with anybody, and uh, I was in my early 40s, and we've been married now almost 25 years, so uh, go figure. Oh, well, good. That gives me a lot of hope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm going to do it like Jay. I'm going <laughs> to Yeah. What, what you have to do is get... develop I don't care, and don't, don't argue with me because it's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> fast forward to... Your website is forwardtojoy.com. You wrote the book, The Suicide Club. A lot of this is obviously, I believe, that no one can help someone unlike uh, like someone that's been there and gone through themselves. 
Has that been a big part of your motivation to do what you do? Yes. I found a big part of this book came from the fact that I was I was gifted some beautiful journals and books and, and prayer books, but nothing that, that literally said, this is the worst day of your life. You're going to get through it, and here are some ways to do it. And um, there are lots of beautiful grief groups, lots of support, but there's something different when you're able. And I see this for, for people who lose a loved one. Um, from cancer or in other circumstances, find people who've had that same kind of loss because there's just a level of understanding that you can't get from other people. And to be able to just, I'll, I'll say this, I used to be, um, I loved getting hugs. Sean and I were like very big on getting hugs. And after he died, I was like, don't touch me. I don't want anyone to touch me. You sound like my wife. Person- she doesn't want anybody <laughs> touching her, including me sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the first person I let, actually give me a hug, uh, was a woman in my, my suicide support group. And it was just, it was, I knew for whatever reason I knew it when engaging with her, that that hug was just for me. It wasn't about me comforting her. It was just for me. And we just had this nonverbal communication and understanding that came from, from being around someone who'd gone through the same thing. Now, the, name similar your, thing. the name of your book is a suicide club and your website is forward to joy.com. The joy is so important. What are some of the things that people can find there besides purchasing your book? Absolutely. I do one-on-one coaching. I I do have an online masterclass that people can access to start working through the process of healing some of those core limiting beliefs we get as kids. Um, And you can also find links to other podcast interviews to see for more tools and resources um, to get through this process. And that is forwardtojoy.com. Alexandra, thanks so much for being such a fascinating guest on the Law Enforcement Day Show. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. It was a pleasure. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.